0: Hello? Josh, hey man, it's Luke. Hey, what's up, bud? I actually wanted to see if you remember something from our childhood. So, 30 years ago this past week was the release of Tom Hanks' film, Turner and Hooch. Great movie. I have a distinct memory of some girl that you met somehow, named Tori, that you were talking to on the phone, and I remember y'all were going to meet for the first time at a mall, telling you that it was going to be like this scene from Turner and Hooch, where the dog is like running in slow motion towards Tom Hanks. (laughs) His cheeks, like, flapping in the wind and spit everywhere. Do you remember this? I think I do, and I don't think I ever met that girl because of it. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure, actually, I'm pretty sure we went to the mall, and I got stood up. Oh, man. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to bring up a painful memory. It was brutal. I still struggle through it sometimes today. But. Yeah, I really thought that it was, in fact, you that just no-showed, because that seems way more on brand for teenage Josh. <laughs> I'm pretty sure this one did. I was it up. Man, I'm so sorry about that. That's all right. I appreciate you bringing up the memory. The movie was good, though. If it makes you feel better, I'm pretty sure that is what she would have looked like. Oh, that absolutely makes me feel better. That's, I take solace in that every day. Good. Okay, well, sorry again. I'm going to go ahead and start the episode now. All right, good luck. Can't wait to See hear See you. Bye. From Mill Media Group, this is 30 Pi, a weekly peek back at the music, movies, sports, fashion, politics and news from 30 years ago. I'm your host, Luke Braun. This is Season 1, Episode 23, Human Gremlins and Lollapalooza Baytown. Today we're looking back at the week that ended Saturday, July 29th, 1989. Hello again, dear friends, and welcome to Episode 23 of 30 Pop. This wasn't a huge week for pop culture in 1989, but there were a few things worth mentioning. First off, as I noted in the opening call, the very funny Tom Hanks film Turner and Hooch released this week in 1989 and took over the number one spot at the box office from Mel Gibson and Danny Glover's Lethal Weapon 2 after back-to-back weeks at the top. Another franchise sequel also released this week. The eighth film in the Friday the 13th series, Jason Takes Manhattan which I've never seen or cared to see and which I can't help but assume is really, really bad. I do find it interesting, though, that the 2009 Friday the 13th reboot was the 12th and apparently final film in the series. Friday the 13th 13 just seems like such a missed opportunity. Also interesting about Jason Takes Manhattan, though, as well as its predecessor, The New Blood, is that they released in the same window of time as Friday the 13th The Series was airing on television a series that actually had absolutely nothing in common with the films outside of its name and branding. There were no shared storylines or crossover characters, including the film's central character, Jason Voorhees. I do remember seeing a few episodes of the series and being pretty creeped out, but I'm confident it also hasn't held up over time. One interesting thing that happened this week in 1989 was the federal grand jury indictment of then Cornell University student Robert Tappan Morris for the crime of releasing a computer virus known as the Morris worm, making him the first person to be prosecuted under the 1986 Computer Fraud and Abuse Act. He was sentenced to three years of probation, 400 hours of community service, and a fine of around 10 grand. A few years later, he co-founded a company called ViaWeb that eventually sold to Yahoo for $49 million, and he spent the last 20 years as a professor at MIT. So, I guess it all worked out okay. The number one album in the country for the second straight week was Prince's Batman soundtrack, and the number one single was once again Martika's song Toy Soldiers. There was one major album released this week in 1989, although it wasn't terribly successful at the time. The sophomore release from Brooklyn rap trio, The Beastie Boys, Paul's Boutique. I had a chance this week to visit with the biggest Beastie Boys fan I know, Demi Welling, and her husband, my dear friend, Sean, about that historic record. Here's our conversation. Demi and Sean Welling, welcome to 30 Pop. So great to have you on. I can't believe we are finally on this show. Hey. We're here. <laughs> it's true. Sean, we needed some age on the show. So. Yeah, definitely. So so, Sean, how old were you in 1989?
1: <laughs> well, let me do the math. I was 13. I would have been 27
0: years old. 13. 27. Yes. <laughs> maybe we'll cut that out. I don't we know. weren't married that then, sounds, by the way. <laughs> that sounds real bad, but it does. we didn't Did know we, each other. So, Sean, you and I have been friends for ages. Demi, yes. we've been friends almost as long. Almost. I probably know your husband a little better. Yeah. But one of the things that I learned recently from him is that you are a huge, maybe the hugest, Beastie Boys fan.
2: Uh, yeah, I was the Beastie Girl, for sure.
0: Beastie Girl. Okay, so 30 years ago this past week was the release of their second album, Paul's Boutique. Yep. Now, I, as a lifelong hip-hop fan... hmm do not understand the Beastie Boys. Like, it just, it's never clicked for me. I always thought Beastie Boys fans were people who just didn't understand real hip-hop. But you are, like, also a lifelong diehard hip-hop fan, and you love them. You actually, before we started recording, said they're your favorite hip-hop group. So talk me through it.
2: Okay, well, first, could everyone hear my massive eye roll? (laughs) So... I first heard of the Beastie Boys in fifth grade. Okay. Okay.
0: So this would have been licensed to ill then?
2: This is licensed to ill. Yes. I had it on cassette. Nice. (laughs) And we had recess. And there was this really cool guy, Jesus Gonzalez. And he was like, hey, my brother has this tape. And it is so good. And we could bring Walkmans to school back then. (laughs) And I heard that cassette and I was like, this is the coolest rap I've ever heard in my life. And I just fell in love with them. So fast forward to 89 when -hmm. this came out. Like I said, I was 13. (laughs) And I thought it was the most amazing cassette that I have ever heard in my life because it was like crazy music, just all kinds of music. I was like, wait, I know that song. Wait. I know that song, and I think everyone was in love with Hey Ladies. You also have to remember MTV Mm -hmm. made all of this stuff even more amazing. So we did have their crazy videos that went along with this. It was just a work of art. I have always loved music. It's always been my therapy. But there was just something about this group that wasn't just straight rap and 808s and beats they did everything. They played guitar, they played bass, they played drums, they had a DJ, and they just put all of these things into like every song and every show. In one song, you can go from rap to rock to headbanging to punk. I mean, it was just amazing. And I
0: think that's why I didn't understand it. In my young brain, I heard songs like You Gotta Fight for the Right to Party, whatever it's called. And I was like, well, why are people calling this rap? Like it's not rap. There's like electric guitars. And I had no space in my mind for rap music to have live instruments. Now I I'm learning in my older years to appreciate the beastie boys in a new way. But it's honestly all been since MCA died that I started kind of being, like, okay, I'm starting to get it. It's still hard for me to call them a hip hop group though. Like I just, it just doesn't click. For well,
2: me. funny story about MCA. So when he did pass away, my mother, my sister my cousin and my dad all called me and the first thing they said to me, it wasn't like, hey, how are you? It was like, are you okay because they knew like how important this group was to me like I worked so that I could go to concerts. I worked so that I could buy gear. I worked so that I could buy green suede adidas you know just so that I could feel like I was a part of this group. They knew like this was a part of my life this was a part of my, being this is all I ever wanted to do. I wanted to move to Austin so that I could work for their magazine. I wanted to be these people, <laughs> like, I, I wanted it. It to be with them. The only reason why I ever visited New York was because they rapped about it, they sang about it, and you know, from hello, Brooklyn tagline to New York, New York, it's a hell of a town, you know, it's just like. I want to be there with these people. I want to see their lives. I could feel their lives in their music. And it's just everything to me. Everything.
0: So you've seen them live, I assume.
2: Quite a few times. How many times do you think? I would say a dozen. Funny story. So (laughs) the first time I ever saw them, it was the summer before sixth grade. It was at the summit. And they were opening for Madonna. Oh, my gosh. And my then Sunday school teacher, she was younger, and she loved Madonna, and she would let my sisters and I spend the night with her on the weekends and Madonna was coming, and she was like, "Girls, do you want to go to the concert?" And we were like, "Yeah, you know if I'm in the going into the sixth grade, like my sisters were way younger than that. they didn't end up going, so I went with her and two of her girlfriends, they were all dressed like Madonna, and I had on like this white t-shirt and like these black track pants. And I was so excited. They came on stage. They opened with like guitars and they were jumping around just being like young punks and kids. And they got booed off the stage. you kidding me. And so like my dreams were, they got booed off the stage. They redid the set. And then I sat at the concert with my hands folded because although I liked Madonna, that's not who I like went there to see. So that was my very first experience, (laughs) one of the first concerts. But one of my favorite concerts was the last concert ever played at the Sam Houston Coliseum. So I begged my mom.
0: How old are you at this point?
2: I'm 15, maybe. I don't think I was 16 yet. So 92. Yeah, I was about 15. Okay. Too young to go. Sure. (laughs) Um, And Henry Rollins opened for Cypress Hill, who opened for Beasties. And I begged my mom, and I was like, Mom, please, such and such as older brother is going to be there. It's going to be fine. We didn't have cell phones. I had a pager. It was weird. So she let me go, and immediately I walked in, and I'm like, I am scared. Like, who are all these people? These people look weird. But we had amazing seats. It was great. So Very
0: different crowd than the Madonna crowd, I have to assume.
2: <laughs> very <laughs> different.
0: Assume. It was the Rollins.
2: most amazing concert I had ever been to in my life.
0: And they were headlining, you said.
2: They headlined, but their opening act, Henry Rollins, was amazing. Cypress Hill was Amazing. I mean, that is
0: like insane in the Membrane Cypress yes, Hill. Like that's like that Cypress prime Hill prime time Cypress Hill.
2: Prime time <laughs> Cypress Hill. It was insane.
0: I can almost smell the weed as you to, as you share the story.
2: Am it was <laughs> I wondered what I was it smelling. was. The first time it was the first thing I told my parents when I got home. They were like, "How was the concert? It was amazing. So many people were smoking weed. I mean, it was just <sighs> crazy. So that's
0: amazing. So when's the last time that you saw them live?
2: Lollapalooza in Baytown, 1994.
0: Wait a second. Lollapalooza Baytown? Yes. What is that?
2: So (laughs) Perry Farrell started Lollapalooza, whoever kicked it off. It was before ACL or Bonnaroo or Woodstock or Coachella. It was Lollapalooza. And... It was stupid. I had just graduated high school, and I told my parents, this is all I want to do. It's, I just want to go to Baytown, and I want to see the Beastie Boys. I have backstage, but I have to go to this concert. Blah, 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 blah. It, it was an all-day event.
0: Oh, sure, yeah. I mean. I remember when the first Lollapalooza happened. It was huge names, because it was the first time. I mean, it was like yeah. you said. like There had been the original Woodstock, but I didn't know of any other major, major festivals. And I feel like MTV was maybe behind Lollapalooza, right? Or they promoted it real heavily.
2: They did promote it real heavily, but it was everything. And I was like, I got to get there. And I mean, I talked about it for months. I worked on my parents for months. My dad was the hard sell. I was like, you can drop me off. You can drive me. So yes, it was a long waiting period for them to come on. But... It was the most amazing show that I had experienced live. I still say it's one of the best live shows I've seen. And I've seen quite a few since 1994.
0: (laughs) You've seen quite a few in 2019. Yes, I have. Okay, so I'm looking up the Lollapalooza lineup. Okay, let's hear.
2: Cool, you found it.
0: Except I'm not finding... Lollapalooza Baytown.
2: <laughs> well, it doesn't... <laughs>
0: to my great surprise. It might so say I don't know if it's Houston. A tour, but it's uh um,
2: Lollapalooza 94.
0: Oh, it was 94. I'm looking at the wrong year. Okay. So, Smashing Pumpkins, Beastie mm-hmm. Boys, George mm-hmm. Clinton and P-Funk All-Stars, yep. The all Breeders, of, a Tribe Called Quest. Did you yes. see A Tribe Called
2: Quest? I was there the entire day. Oh, my day. gosh. And... Back then, everything was on the main stage. You didn't have four, five, or six different stages.
0: I can't believe you saw Tribe Called Quest. I know we're here to talk about Beastie Boys. I know.
2: Well, we can (laughs) talk about a lot of those people, but yes. So, uh, Sean,
0: let's turn to you for a second. So, you share my maybe confusion about the Beastie Boys?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, you mentioned Fight for Your Right. like Yeah. And – I was living in Nashville, right, and so I had a completely different mindset of what music...
0: Yes. Like, my trajectory (laughs) musically... You went to college with Stephen Curtis Chapman. We've talked about... I did, yes. So it's just a very different world. Much different world. Yeah.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Much, much different world. And, like, the videos, like, reminded me of a bunch of, like, human gremlins. Like, this, (laughs) they're just... Take like that back. that's all the. No, I'm just saying that like, i like this isn't music. These are just some guys. I like, think you
0: just titled the episode for this week. <laughs> Human gremlins. Go ahead. Yeah. So,
1: like, I heard that song and like I turned the switch off for a pretty long time. Yeah. And then really, Demi introduced me to Paul's boutique and like she said, you have to understand the thousands of hours of sampling. Oh yeah. It's uh, that crazy. And then when I listened, I thought. That's just genius.
0: I mean, the one song that you listed, Hey Ladies, samples 16 different, mostly like classic rock or, you know, like African Bambada and people like that. um, Yeah. yeah.
2: And that's not even the best song on that record. I'm like, oh my gosh. So what's funny,
0: though, is the album was kind of a flop at first. So following License to Ill… They departed from Rick Rubin, who is, in my opinion, one of the greatest producers of all time, I think in everyone's opinion. Top three, yes. They had left their label, they'd left Rick Rubin, and they came out with this record that I think was mostly self-produced. I think that they did the bulk of the work. I may be wrong about that part, but it was a huge flop until much, much later, where like today, it's known as one of the greatest hip-hop albums of all time. It's genius. Yeah.
2: Amazing. That changed my mind. One of the main reasons why I'm like, okay, they're the best rap group is I listen to these lyrics and I listen to these songs. And I'm like, you people don't even understand what they're saying. I can remember being in middle school saying, you wouldn't understand it because you don't even understand history. Like, or you wouldn't get it because you don't understand how he's rapping about science right now. Like, listen to the song, people. You you
0: know? want to spit a few bars for us?
2: Maybe later, but <laughs> I—I <I've>, <laughs> mean, can, she can spit the whole record. <laughs> I mean, maybe later. I have. We'll wait till
0: the mics are off. We'll yeah, <laughs> we'll wait till the mics. <laughs> are That'll off. be bonus content.
2: <laughs> yes, I just—I mean, I know we're talking about Paul's boutique, but like, check your head after that was amazing. At Lollapalooza, They, it was just stupid. I mean, and you talk about Tribe Called Quest, but in Check Your Head, he was on that record. Mm-hmm. They did a lot of things together. It was pretty cool. I'm sorry. He was on Ill Communication, not Check Your Head. But that,
0: That's one of the things that's always been confusing for me is I had these kind of ideas about BC boys, but like they're super well-respected in the hip-hop community. Oh, my gosh. Among other MCs, among other artists. Yes. And that always was like... Kind of mind-boggling for me. I'm just like, what? But it's not hip hop. But like now, I sort of appreciate it in a different way. Like I said, like they're from like Brooklyn or wherever, and like, yeah, you realize that like culturally they were fitting right in.
2: Yes. So there's that too. And I think maybe that's what Sean was trying to touch on when he was like, well, I lived in Nashville, you know, kind of dancing around it. Culturally, they don't look like hip hop. Mm -hmm. They don't look like rap, except for the fact that they were from Brooklyn or you know, other parts of New York. But their music was just like what hip hop was, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, like the heart
1: of it. Yeah, like,
2: during that time, and I I'm saw like, them
1: as punk rock that was busted. And they were.
2: Of, they have of,
1: tons of punk. Out of the three-piece punk rock yeah. kind of mold by doing sampling and like, yeah. what you can't play your own instruments, you can't come up with cool hook lines, yeah. you know? Like, no, that's not. I mean, it was a super such a, music such a snob, purist. Yeah, purist yes. music snob that just like it broke categories that once. Demi played Paul's Boutique and we listened to we listened to the
2: entire album the entire entire record yeah I was like you need to listen to this whole the entire my goodness yeah Mm -hmm. and to
1: see like the drums sampled here the guitar sampled here the keyboard sampled here it's like
0: it's the album of theirs I'm probably least familiar with so I'm going to spend some time with it this week sure wanted to thank you so much for coming on and sharing your deep love for the Beastie Boys excited to have both of you back on in the future thanks so much thank you thank you see ya I know I say this sort of thing often and I do always mean it, but I really can't wait to have those folks back on the show soon. Demi's great love for live music spills over into my life pretty regularly in the best way as she's taken me to see the likes of Jay-Z, Leon Bridges, New Kids on the Block, Salt and Peppa, Naughty by Nature, and I honestly don't even remember how many other fantastic live shows. And that's just in the last couple years. Huge thanks to Demi and Sean for being on and just for being such great friends to me. Huge thanks also to you for listening to this show, rating and reviewing on Apple Podcasts, telling your friends, following on all the social media channels, and even partnering with me at the Patreon link in the show notes. I love making this show and can't wait to continue counting down these last few months of the 80s with all of you. I'll be back next week to talk about one of the most culture-shifting inventions of the entire decade. But in the meantime, no begging for food, no sniffing of crotches, and you will not drink from my toilet. This is not your room. 30 Pop is produced, edited, and mixed by me, Luke Vaughn. Our artwork is by the amazing Heather Hale. To check out more shows from Millu Media Group, visit Millumedia.com, which is linked in the show notes for this episode. And if you have a story from 1989 that you want to share on the air, email 30 Podcast at gmail.com.